0: it's baseball hq radio the tuesday edition we'll talk with BaseballHQ.com director of news and analysis jock thompson next on baseball hq radio
1: right hander for the giants throws Swing and, a bass, and that's it the giants are world champions as they come pouring out of the dugout circling brian wilson the bullpen flying in from left center field Dancing, hugging, and celebrating for all you Giants fans, wherever you are. Learn to play the winner's way, because Baseball HQ Radio starts right now.
2: And here's your host from BaseballHQ.com, columnist Patrick Davitt.
0: And welcome to Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, August 27th. It's show number 39 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I'm Patrick Davitt, your host, and in addition to Jock Thompson talking about trouble in the Angels camp, those red-hot Dodgers, trading and dumping, Keeper League roster management, and more, we'll also have commentaries from the experts at BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. In our Tuesday Minor League Minute, Rob Gordon looks at Colorado right-handed pitching prospect Eddie Butler. And in Master Notes, BaseballHQ.com co GM and speculator columnist Ray Murphy talks about a starter only pitching strategy for the stretch. It's another big show. Thanks for joining us on the Tuesday edition of Baseball HQ Radio. Hey, what do you say? Some terrible news for the Mets. We gotta talk some baseball. Yes, the Mets already suffering through a dismal season got some truly horrendous news on Monday when they found out that rookie ace Matt Harvey has been diagnosed with a partially torn ulnar collateral ligament in his pitching elbow. Harvey was taken to hospital after a 102-pitch start on Saturday against the Tigers. He was complaining about fatigue and talking about discomfort. He'd been having some swelling but no pain in his elbow before his last start and had been getting preventive treatment since spring training. As part of his session with the doctors, Harvey had an MRI that revealed the tear. For now, Harvey will go on to the DL and just rest the elbow, but a torn UCL in your pitching elbow is commonly associated with a well-known surgical technique, Tommy John. And if Matt Harvey needs Tommy John surgery, he's all but certain to miss the 2014 season. The natural thing when we hear news like this is to look for explanations, and in a pitcher's case that usually starts with workload. Harvey's had 26 starts this year, in which he threw 178 and one-third innings. That comes after 305 total innings in the two previous seasons. mostly in the minors, but also 10 big league starts last year. He threw 2,697 pitches in his 26 starts this year, an average of 104 pitches per start. And that doesn't sound so bad, but he threw 121 pitches in two starts, 116 pitches in two others, and more than 118 times in all. Of course, we don't know at a quick glance how many of those 2,700 pitches were in high-stress, high-leverage situations, which have been implicated in injury research as perhaps more causative of arm injuries. Also we don't know how many 35-40 pitch innings Harvey threw. We do know that only 10 other pitchers this year have thrown at least as many innings and at least as many pitches in at least as many starts as Matt Harvey. Not one of those pitchers was 24 years old, like Matt Harvey. Their horses, like Max Scherzer, James Shields, Cole Hamels, and Adam Wainwright, 27, 28 or older. Only one of the pitchers was even 25 years old. That was Clayton Kershaw. This is not to suggest that Harvey's workload was the root cause of his elbow injury, but it sure does make you think. The Mets and Matt Harvey won't make any treatment decisions for at least a couple of weeks after his swelling subsides and he can get another doctor's examined MRI. Harvey is nine wins and five losses this season. Should have had more wins. He has a 2.27 ERA, a whip under 1.0. He started the All-Star game and has rung up 191 strikeouts. The Mets will activate somebody from somewhere to take Harvey's slot in the rotation, but whoever he is... He won't be taking Matt Harvey's place in the rotation. Now, speaking of workloads, we have a guy with a huge one as our special feature guest on this edition of Baseball HQ Radio. It's Jock Thompson of BaseballHQ.com. Of course, regular listeners will recognize Jock as our American League reporter every Friday here on the show. But Jock's also a very busy guy at BaseballHQ.com, the director of news and analysis. He also covers the American League West for the site in the Divisional Outlook columns and is the Keeper League's columnist, and we will touch all those bases and perhaps more. Jock, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio.
2: P.D., my man, what is up? Thanks for the intro.
0: Oh, you're welcome. Did I miss anything from Baseball HQ? I got um, the Divisional Outlook, Director of News and Analysis, Keeper Leagues. Am I missing anything?
2: I don't think so. I try to stay busy
0: and succeeding, may I say, Jock. Before we get started talking about fantasy baseball for everybody else, how's your teams? What kind of leagues do you play in and how are you doing?
2: Well, I've had better years, but for our listeners' benefit, uh, I'll set the stage by saying I play in two very deep 20-team keeper leagues. Roto, 24 active, 7 reserve, with the top 7 teams winning money, so we're very uh, socialistic like that to keep it interesting. And the out-of-the-money finishers get the first picks in the following year's supplemental draft. So we we try to keep it interesting. In one of my leagues, I'm in ninth place. I'm I'm fighting for that first pick in the draft. Um I had no offense this year, lots of good pitching. I'm in fourth place in the other league. I don't have much of a shot at first, but I'm firmly in the money and I'm I'm proud to say that I've overcome having Matt Kemp and Starling Castro on my roster.
0: A couple of uh, disastrous high-round picks for a lot of uh, fantasy owners, that's for sure. Are, are these keeper leagues in the sense of contracts or dynasty leagues where you keep them forever?
2: Uh, we have a league salary cap in both leagues. We have both a player salary cap and a total salary cap uh, based on performance dollars. We're in the, uh, in the process of changing our rules right now, but um, we let people keep X amount of players depending on their total salary cap, and they throw everybody else back into a pool.
0: Okay, and uh, you said if you uh, do well in the ninth-place league that you could get the first overall supplemental pick. Who's that likely to be?
2: Yeah, if I finish eighth, uh, the first seven uh, teams win money. If I finish eighth, I will get that first pick. And it's really tough to determine who that's going to be right now because it really depends on, on, on who uh, other owners throw back. But it's, it's usually somebody decent.
0: All right, uh, Jock, let's move on to some news from the world of real baseball. Uh, you live down there in Southern California. I know you're a longtime Angels fan and season ticket holder, so I'd like to start with two stories about the Angels that have been in the news lately. Uh, first up, what's with this philosophical rift between manager Mike Socia and general manager Jerry DiPoto?
2: Well, um, you know, the Angels could take up an entire radio show of its own, obviously, um. The Rift started when Jerry DePoto came in two two Aprils ago and uh, um, fired uh, uh, Mike Socha's longtime friend and hitting coach, Mickey Hatcher. I really think that 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 was the apex of the Rift, from what I understand. Uh, I've heard from local writers that uh, they've seemingly patched that up and have worked together. The um, the riff now is something new, and, and, and given that it's it's coming from national writers, I'm honestly not sure what to make of it. Uh, some of it doesn't ring that true, so it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out.
0: And what are we to make of these stories that came out about some locker room confrontations between Tory Hunter and Albert Pujols? I know these were last year, but they're just coming to the surface now.
2: Yeah, that doesn't really surprise me. The Angels keep a lid on, on, on these things, and um, uh, they... Uh, <laughs> This stuff goes on all the time, it seems to me. Um, I've, you know, I'm I'm sure there's all kinds of unreported altercations. It, it doesn't surprise me that it happened. It sure rings true. I remember the game um, in question that it happened after it was a disastrous loss to the Rays. I was at the game. Um, I just uh, I'm more interested actually in the in the schism between Socha and DePodo, and particularly in seeing what Artie Moreno is going to decide to do this off season.
0: Probably just run out and overpay somebody.
2: Yeah, um, I, if you, I mean, based on his uh, based on his past performance, but it's interesting if um, if a lot of these national writers are are correct and and uh, Depoto is gone after the year is over, it, it makes you wonder um, who's going to be willing to take this job? Who's going to be willing to come in and uh, and be a messenger between Mike sosha and, and Artie Moreno? Um, if 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 Artie's thinking about this in the right way, I i don't see how he fires anybody this quickly. there's blame enough for this mess to go around
0: and Depoto, despite uh the angel's lack of success this year, is generally regarded as a pretty good evaluator of talent and a pretty shrewd guy with the business side
2: yeah, he is, and a lot of his moves have backfired, and a lot of the moves the angels have made weren't uh, weren't driven by him they were they were driven by the owner, and a lot of the subsequent moves were based on how much money they had left after the uh the Pujols and and Hamilton contracts. Um, I'm not convinced that Depoto's ouster is is going to improve the 2014 outlook. And and as as badly as the team has played and underperformed this year, I think um, part of the reason for that is not having a very good uh, player development and minor league system, and the injuries, both of which really can't be traced to Depoto. The uh, the the savaging of the farm system has been going on for the last three four years before Depoto got here.
0: On the other side of town, Jock, the Dodgers have cooled off a little bit lately, but they had a hell of a run after the All-Star break, and they're a cinch now for the playoffs. And all of this despite being 15th in the, in the majors in run scoring, 17th in slugging percentage, not an offensive powerhouse by any means. They're not getting a lot of value out of their top-dollar outfielders, Camp and Crawford, Andre Ethier. So besides Clayton Kershaw, what are they doing right?
2: Well, it really is the starting pitching. Um, and besides Kershaw, Grinky has come as advertised. Ryu's had a fine season and the coming over from Florida has been has been super. And the pen has been really good in the second half. I and mean, Kenley Jansen is as shut down a, sh- a of closer as they come. And two kids, Paco Rodriguez and Chris Withrow, have really come on strong. And in spite of the offensive inconsistencies that you mentioned and, and Kemp's problems, the Dodgers have a lot of depth and versatility. They're-, they're getting surprisingly good season out of names like Juan Uribe and Skip Schumacher, uh, along with some timely contributions from bit players like Scott Van Slake. So um, it's it's all come together pretty well for the Dodgers.
0: Now, what do we make, Jock, of the stories about the antics of Cuban sensation Yaziel Puig? Everybody loves watching this guy play, but he seems more and more to be something of a flake. Could he be the next Manny Ramirez?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. He's he's definitely a wild child, and he plays in an unrestrained way that makes him fun to watch, as well as being cringe-worthy for Dodger fans. He's young, and he's still adapting to a new culture and, and a more disciplined way of, of, of playing the game. Um, it's interesting that his maturation and discipline obviously is a work in progress, yet his amazing skills are keeping him on the field. If he becomes Manny on the field, good for him. He certainly has a chance. Um, His ability to avoid being Manny off the field remains to be seen.
0: After Sunday's games, Miguel Cabrera looks like a lock to win the batting average and RBI crowns in the American League, and he was just four home runs behind Chris Davis to take a second straight triple crown. First of all, how cool would that be?
2: That'd be very cool. I don't own Cabrera in any of my dynasty leagues, but my wife does, so I'm rooting for him. And, and really, who doesn't enjoy watching him work pitchers, aside from maybe the opposing pitchers? I mean, he's, he's just fun to watch.
0: Now, do you think he can catch Chris Davis, and are you rooting for him?
2: Yeah, it's tough to say. Davis plays in such a great park, and uh, uh, Cabrera's had so many aches and pains. I, I'm rooting for him. It would be fun to see, but... Uh, Given what one goes through down the stretch and even the rest he might get in anticipation of the postseason, it's uh, it's difficult to, to bet on him winning another Triple Crown.
0: Even if he does, he's still about .7 or so wins behind your Angels' Mike Trout in wins above replacement. Do you think we're going to see a replay of last year's MVP debate? And if he doesn't win the uh, Triple Crown, does Trout have a chance given the fact he's playing on such a uh, underperforming squad?
2: You know, I think I think we're already seeing a little bit of the debate. and We'll see a little more of it again. But I honestly don't think it'll be the same simply because it's the second time around. Um, and regardless of the merits of Trout, I think those in his corner r- realize how the MVP voters are going to be swayed. I doubt much has changed between this year and last, except for probably the Angels disaster season, which is, is always going to work against Trout uh, with with, uh, with most of the voters. And I think his fans realize it.
0: And finally, Jock, Roy Halliday of the Philadelphia Phillies came back from the DL on Sunday, got a relatively easy win. Would you grab him for a stretch run?
2: You know, I didn't see the game. Um, I, I checked out his velocity the, the uh, this morning, and he was around 89-90. He didn't get the typical ground balls that we're used to seeing from Roy Halliday, and he whiffed only two hitters. Now, Arizona hasn't been a bad offensive club, but the lineup he, he was facing wasn't awe-inspiring. Anything can happen in five weeks, and he's the kind of flyer you might want to take if you need pitching down the stretch. But but I'd be real careful about expecting too much based on this performance.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt with Jock Thompson from BaseballHQ.com, Keeper League's columnist, team analyst for the Southern California teams, divisional outlook columnist for the American League West, and Jock, also the director of news and analysis at BaseballHQ.com. Can you give us the 10-cent tour through the news and analysis process at the site?
2: Yeah, sure. We have a two-pronged approach to news and analysis. Uh, With our daily playing time tool, we try to analyze the critical transactions and news, injuries and call-ups and whatnot that uh, affect fantasy lineups today and in the short term. We try to forecast what the news means in terms of opportunity for players, how that player stacks up from a skills perspective, and even the outlook for relevant discarded players. Now, the second prong is our daily divisional outlook column, which takes a longer-term view of the decisions that teams in various decisions have to make and what moves they might make. Uh, From Monday through Saturday of each week, we have a divisional baseball HQ analyst touch on the division – I'm sorry, touch on the issues – facing each team in the six individual major league divisions. Uh, Just for example, my AL West column appears on Tuesday morning, and in it I'll provide current news or playing situations on each of the five AL West teams and try to project what's coming around the corner, and even for the coming season, since we have plenty of Dynasty and Keeper League subscribers.
0: And you also mentioned uh, the, the overlap between the two is is where the sweet spot really is for the site, I think, because you get that daily dose from the playing time today columns and the uh, divisional outlook gives you a little bit longer of a look.
2: Yeah, we try to, uh, to cover all the bases. For example, in my column last week, I took a, a hard look at the Oakland rotation in the wake of Bartolo Colon's injury and Brett Anderson's minor league rehab and Sonny Gray's ascent. And the conclusion I came up with is for the next six weeks um, – Aside from perhaps Jared Parker, uh, this, this rotation is going to be uh, based on what have you done for me lately. Uh, anyone who makes a bad start or two could be out. Uh, and fantasy owners, this is the type of fantasy owners, uh, the information fantasy owners need to, uh, to plan their, uh, their final stretch run.
0: Jock, you regularly pinch hit for Ron Chandler in the Wednesday morning USA Today Baseball HQ chat. Someone recently asked you, how do you consider players coming off their career years? And the person asking the question used Mike Napoli as an example. He had a big career year a couple of years ago, and after that, not so much. Even though he went for big dollars, your answer was terrific. Tell our listeners what you said.
2: Well, we're we're talking about consistency, and 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 we're trying to analyze year over year what a player will do. And and what I what I told the listener was, or the 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 chatter was. To look for consistency year over year, especially for your top picks in age 27 or over. At Baseball HQ, we use a consistency grade that ranks players in this way, and in the 2012 baseball forecaster, Napoli's consistency grade was F, which isn't very good.
0: That's as bad as it gets, and it turned out to be prescient because Napoli, as I said, while he wasn't completely horrible was certainly not the 25 or $30 player that he had been in that big career year in Texas. I also liked how you answered a question while playing the hot hand, the reader who wrote in on the chat screen said that in the last six weeks, he's going to drop top line guys just to go with players who are playing well in the moment. And when you gave your answer, you mentioned Jeremy Guthrie.
2: Yeah, I told him, and I, and I believe this was a question that was put up late last year. Um, I told him that I still like proven and consistency players, though I, I was with him to a degree. How hot a player is and how much playing time he's likely to see in, in a sh- in a small sample, say five, six weeks like we are now, is going to be important as our matchups. Um, I picked up Jeremy Guthrie um, last year in August at this time. He'd just been dealt from Baltimore in the AL East and Camden Yards to Kansas City he was in a more spacious park and weak division he'd had two very good starts in a row I saw one of them I liked the way he was pitching and I thought the change was going to do him good and sure enough he had a sub three ERA over 12 starts and 80 innings from August through the end of uh, September that year so sometimes in deeper leagues you got to play a hunch and go with what you see.
0: Yes, that's right. Especially true in, in the deeper leagues. You also participated in one of Todd Zola's HQ roundtable discussions about trading philosophies, keeper league dynamics, and those kind of issues. And the key seemed to be, how aggressively do you commit to your approach, whether to go for it or dump and rebuild? Why is it so important to commit aggressively?
2: Well, I I, I think you have to choose one of the other if you're really in a in a in a pennant fight if it's close because you basically have to, you basically have to really focus on the present. If you think you can win and the flag is, is important to you. My probably my biggest weakness as a fantasy player is in my leagues, I'm probably always trying to do a little bit of both, which sometimes may not be the greatest strategy.
0: It's possible to do sometimes, uh, depending on how big your lead is and how the categories are shaping up, but oftentimes not. Uh, it's, it's a good question and, uh, and, a, and a good answer. But, of course, every situation is different. And, and sometimes, well, I, I'll just say you don't want to throw in the towel on future years to ensure a win that you're probably likely to get anyway, and you can have your cake and eat it too under a lot of circumstances.
2: Yeah, it really depends on how deep your league is and and the players involved. For example, you don't want to pass up a chance to pick up Michael Sano for uh, a Bruce Chen start against a weak team.
0: In general, how much responsibility does a rebuilding team have in choosing whether or not to make a deal based on how it will affect the overall race for the pennant? And I'll give you an example. In a league that I'm in, I'm making deals with guys that are affecting the race. They have a very real chance of affecting the race. I'm going to move up maybe from 8th to 5th, so I'm I'm out of it either way. Should I be making a deal that might affect who wins the league just so I can gain three relatively meaningless spots?
2: I think it depends on how it benefits you, um, and that obviously depends on your league and ro- rules. For example, I don't think a non-contender should be making three-for-one trade trades, for example, when he's trading the best player in the deal, and particularly if there are free agents just as good as the player he's getting. I'll give you an example. We had a a, a player or a, a fantasy owner in, in one of our leagues. He's, he's a last-place team. In late June, he dealt Joaquin Benoit, who who just became the Detroit closer, for Juan Pierre, Colby Lewis, and Jesse Biddle. And nobody really thought too much of that deal, primarily because – There were at least 12, 15 pitching prospects on the free agent list better than Jesse Biddle. Juan Pierre was going to be worthless given Florida's uh, rebuilding program. He was going to be worthless in another month. And there was a real question as to whether Colby Lewis would ever pitch this year. And sure enough, now um, the the three players uh, that I've mentioned have all been cut by the same owner who, who traded for him. And Juan Benoit is lights out for Detroit. Uh, I think this was just lazy trading, and it's really up to the rebuilding owner to do some research and investigating before he makes a deal like this.
0: Well, let me offer you what I did and and get your opinion. Again, I'm not in last place. I'm tied in a very tight bunch from fifth to about ninth, and I think by making the deal I'm going to move up to fifth. But here's the deal. I gave up Cole Hamels and David Price to get back, Dustin Pedroia, and uh, Adam Jones of Baltimore. Now I'm going to gain six, seven points in runs, home runs, RBIs, and all the offensive categories, and he's going to gain five or six points in strikeouts, wins, uh, and ERA. We both are going to gain, but his gain is going to put him into first place, and mine's going to put me into fifth. And I know there are some people who think that that's a dirty pool somehow, and I just wonder if you agree.
2: I'm not sure that's sturdy. Pool. I'm not sure how this benefits to you. Uh, you by finishing fifth, do you get uh, uh, a a better draft pick? Are you in the money? I'm, I'm not sure how it works in your league. But the players you named are all defensible players. They're going to be playing. They're they're good everyday players. Um, it's a little different than the description than the uh, situation that I described.
0: Uh, yeah, Jock, and that's what I was getting at. Your your situation that you described seemed fairly cut and dry. This was just a terrible trade regardless of its outcomes for the league. But my trade was a good trade, except that it may affect the outcome of the league. And I don't really gain anything from finishing fifth. It's an experts league. I want to finish as high as I can for, you know, commercial value for want of a better term. And because, you know, somebody else is paying my fees and I owe it to him and to the league to do my best. So does that change how you think about it?
2: Uh no, not really. I I think as long as you have a goal and an objective um that's uh You know, that's your own objective. I think you can defend the trade that you made.
0: You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio. Patrick David with Jock Thompson from BaseballHQ.com. And, Jock, we've been asking our expert guests all year to give us buy low, sell high hitters and pitchers for the balance of the season. But instead, I'd like to tap your particular expertise for keeper leagues and dynasty leagues. You play in them and you write about them. So I'd like instead to ask you for a hitter and pitcher in each league that owners should be looking at a targeting for next year and the years beyond that. How's that sound?
2: Sounds good. Fire away.
0: All right, let's start with the hitters. Uh, in the American League, how about a power guy, a home run RBI guy?
2: The guy I really like that doesn't get a lot of play in Minnesota because of their other prospects is Oswaldo Arcia. He's uh, He's been up and down this year, but he's flashed some really good power by our metrics. He's got a 138 PX I worry a little bit, a bit about his durability. Um, he needs to make some improvements on the patience and contact side. But um, this guy has legitimate power, and he's only 22, so he can make these adjustments. I like him going forward.
0: How about an American League guy for speed, for runs, for batting average?
2: You know, I still like Jared Dyson uh, for Kansas City. Uh, my biggest problem is I'm not sure Kansas City agrees. He plays really good uh, center field defense, so his that's not going to hurt him. Um, His contact rate is 80% plus his patience is acceptable and he runs like the wind. He's still stealing a ton of bases in a, in a small amount of at bats. He just needs the time
0: in the national league. How about a home run guy, a RBI guy?
2: The guy I really like, and I'm a little biased because he's on one of my teams is, is Chris Bryant uh, for Chicago. I don't know if you've you've checked his numbers lately, but he's hit uh, seven home runs in his first 109 at bats in the minors. Some of this has been in the the, uh, high A Florida State League. I think he's going to come strong, and I think he's going to be in Wrigley Field by July of this coming year. He's going to hit double figures in homers, and he's going to be off to the races at that point.
0: And how about in the National League, a speed, batting average, runs type guy?
2: Well, I'm going to go with another Cub, um, and he's a bit of a sleeper. His name's Arismendi Alcantara. He's playing in double-A right now. He's, uh, he's a second baseman, and I like him on the basis primarily of his opportunity. I think he's going to replace Darwin Barney pretty quickly next year. He's 21 years old. He's got 30 stolen bases and 35 attempts. He's hitting about 270. Um, he's got skills, and he's got opportunity.
0: All right, Jock, let's turn to the pitchers you like uh, on the batting side, Oswaldo Arcia, Jared Dyson, Chris Bryant, and Arismendi Alcantara. How about an American League starting pitcher you like for next year?
2: um I really like Jared Richards for the angels um i I' always been wondering why it took him to to develop this long to develop, but uh he's coming on strong now he's he's got more command of his breaking pitch he's he's throwing it for swings and misses outside of the zone. I don't see what stands in his way from being a 15-game winner.
0: Okay. Uh, Well, the answer to that might be obvious, but I'll let it slide because you're an Angels fan after all. (laughs) (laughs) How about an American League relief pitcher? And usually what we're talking about here is a decent setup guy who might have a shot at closing.
2: I'm going to take Ryan Cook over in Oakland. Again, it it shows my bias. I tend to watch a lot of the uh, late American League games out here. But uh, Grant Balfour should probably be moving on next year. He's a free agent looking for a payday, and Oakland doesn't usually dole out that kind of money, particularly the closers. Um, Ryan Cook's uh, BPIs are just as good as Balfour's, and
0: I think he's going to move in
2: seamlessly into the closer role there.
0: In the National League, how about a starter?
2: You know, I'm probably cheating here. I'm going to go with Archie Bradley for Arizona. He, everybody loves him. I think he's the consensus number one prospect. Uh, I got to see him once uh, pitch on television um, and he's the real deal. I think he's going to move into Arizona and just be lights out next year.
0: And how about a reliever in the National League?
2: And I'm going to go with another bias. I own Trevor Rosenthal in one league, and I know he's faded a little bit down the stretch. But uh, I think uh, I think he's going going to have a chance to close for St. Louis next year.
0: All right, Jock, thanks very much for joining us. As we wrap up the segment, remind our listeners how they can keep up with your work, dates and places.
2: Okay, you can read me every day in our Playing Time Today space doing updates for the Angels, Dodgers, Padres, and Astros. Um, Also, every Tuesday morning in the AL Divisional Outlook column. I will be also subbing for Ron Chandler on the Wednesday, August 28th, USA Today chat this week. And we will soon begin our late-season, off-season, Keeper League columns again sometime in early September.
0: All right, Jock, thanks very much. I was going to say we'll talk to you sometime down the road, but, of course, we'll be talking with you Friday for your regular American League News Analyst Beat Report.
2: Okay, PD, till then.
0: Jock Thompson is the Director of News and Analysis at BaseballHQ.com. He also covers the American League West in the Divisional Outlook columns and is the Keeper League's columnist at BaseballHQ.com. When we come back, we'll have our regular Tuesday commentaries. You're listening to Baseball HQ Radio.
1: Hi, I'm Ray Murphy. I help run things at BaseballHQ.com. I'm inviting you to join me at First Pitch Arizona, November 1st through 3rd in Scottsdale. It's three days jam-packed with seminars, scouting reports, workshops, and fantasy drafts. And best of all, First Pitch Arizona is three great days just talking baseball with hundreds of serious fantasy players like you and all the top industry experts. And don't forget the ball games. First Pitch Arizona is your chance to scout 2014's impact rookies, including the annual Rising Stars All-Star Game. Visit www.firstpitchforums.com to get the skinny and to register. Sign up by August 31st to get a 40% discount on the registration fee. It's like getting Miguel Cabrera in the seventh round. First Pitch Arizona, come see for yourself why the fantasy baseball winners who attend every year call it the most fun you can have outside of draft day. We'll see you there.
0: Hey, welcome back to Baseball HQ Radio. I'm Patrick Davitt. Be sure to check out baseballhq.com for these features. Stephen Nickran's Starting Pitchers Buyer's Guide looks at September skill split speculations. Dr. HQ Rick Wilton looks at DL players like Colorado closer Rafael Betancourt, San Francisco starter Matt Kane, Toronto slugger Jose Bautista, and many more. And Batting Buyer's Guide columnist Dan Becker looks at dangerous batters, the kind whose current hot streaks aren't matched by their skills. Plus, we have our regular analysis of playing time, facts and flukes, performance validation, our Buyer's Guides, divisional outlooks, and much more. Time now for our Baseball HQ commentaries. We have BaseballHQ.com co-GM and Speculator columnist Ray Murphy on deck with master notes. But leading off, it's the Minor League Minute, BaseballHQ.com minor league expert Rob Gordon telling us about Colorado right-handed pitching prospect Eddie Butler.
3: Over the past decade, the Colorado Rockies have not had much success when it comes to drafting and developing domestic pitching prospects. They've done okay in the international free agent market, but have largely struck out with early round draft picks. That trend looks to have finally reversed course, and the Rockies finally have some legitimate homegrown talent on the way. With the third overall pick in the 2013 draft, the Rockies took college right-hander Jonathan Gray, and so far, Gray has been everything he was advertised to be. After eight professional starts, Gray is 3-0 with a nifty 2.23 ERA. The Rockies also have right-hander Eddie Butler, who has had one of the more impressive breakout campaigns of 2013. Butler, the 46th overall pick in the 2012 draft, has a plus-plus to 94-96 mile-an-hour fastball that has very good late life to it. He can also reach back and hit 98 when he needs to, and now has one of the better fastballs in the minors. Butler also has a decent slider and an average changeup. If his change doesn't develop, he has the overpowering stuff to be an elite closer down the road, but for now he remains an intriguing starter. On the year, Butler is 8-5 with a nice 1.91 ERA. He's walked 47 while striking out 133 and has an impressive 182 batting average against in 137 innings while pitching at three different levels. Eddie Butler and Jonathan Gray are both now top 50 prospects and should reach the majors by mid-2014. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Baseball HQ Minor League Analyst Rob Gordon.
0: Another way BaseballHQ.com subscribers get the winner's edge is with comprehensive coverage of the minor leagues. All season long, Rob Gordon, Jeremy Deloney, Cole Garapi, Chris Maloney, and Brent Hershey have reports and updates on top prospects, organization moves, daily call-ups, and everything you need to keep tabs on rising stars. This week, Rob's column looks at hot players as the minor league season comes to an end with names like George Springer, Javier Baez, Travis Jankowski, and many more. We also have BaseballHQ.com's call-up reports this week looking at Toronto infielder Ryan Goines, Cincinnati right-handed pitching prospect Nick Christiani, and more. And don't forget, you should also check out the Minor League watch list, highlighting less heralded prospects who seem to have a path to the majors. In all, if you need to know your prospects to stay competitive in your leagues, BaseballHQ.com has you covered. Now, it's Master Notes with BaseballHQ.com co-GM and Speculator columnist Ray Murphy talking about a starter-only pitching strategy for the stretch.
1: A few weeks ago in this space, Phil Hertz of BaseballHQ.com detailed his unorthodox stretch-run approach in the Tout Wars NL League. He traded away all of his starting pitchers and is going with a reliever-only approach down the stretch. In my NFBC league, I'm doing the opposite. My partner and I found ourselves in 13th place in the 15-team format at the end of July. We also found ourselves on an island in the saves category. There was the possibility of gaining some points if we could move up in saves, but we were a dozen or so saves from losing any points in the category. Meanwhile, our low standing in the wins and strikeouts categories left a pile of pitching points available to us. Of course, our results to date suggested that those pitching points weren't going to be accessible by just sitting back and continuing to do what we've been doing so far this year. To chase those points in wins and Ks, we were going to need more innings. Lots of innings. So, we benched our closers and committed to running nine starting pitchers per week. Let's be clear right up front. In most cases, this is an extremely high-risk strategy. Chasing wins and strikeouts usually means putting lesser starting pitchers in your lineup, a strategy that comes with a fair amount of peril to your ratios. Most of the time, the resulting ERA and whip damage will wash out whatever wins and strikeouts gains you can realize. In our particular situation, though, those risks were mitigated. Having less than 30 of a possible 75 pitching points, there were only so many points we could lose. In particular, our ERA was over four and near the bottom of the league, and we were similarly buried in whip. Plus, let's face it, sitting in 13th place in the league, things can't get much worse. If nothing else, the exercise is something we can have some fun with now, and it might teach us something that we could apply in future seasons but the real selling point for us was the Hail Mary aspect of the move. The off chance that we could catch lightning in a bottle and rack up lots of good innings from these starting pitchers, allowing us to make up ground in ERA and whip, as well as in wins and case. That outcome certainly wasn't the likely one. After all, our pitching to date had been bad, and adding more waiver wire caliber arms isn't a recipe for a sudden reversal of fortune there. However unlikely this Hail Mary was to complete, This was the only available path to making up significant ground in the standings. We made this decision at the end of July. Patrick Davitt and I discussed it here on HQ Radio recently. A month into the experiment, how's it going? Actually, not that badly. In four and a half weeks of this lineup configuration, we've accumulated the following stats. 315 innings, which over a full season would be nearly a 2,000 inning pace. We have 277 strikeouts, which comes out to 7.9 strikeouts per nine innings, which isn't half bad given the theoretical lesser quality of starters we're using to execute this strategy. We have 22 wins after having only 47 over nearly the first four months of the season, so we have nearly 50% more wins over just one more month. And we have a 3.75 ERA and 1.287 whip for the month. That's enough of an ERA gain to move our year-to-date ERA down under four and the whip is basically neutral. All of this hasn't yet translated into a standings gain, as the offense has given back some points concurrently, and the strikeouts and wins gains have moved us closer to the main pack, but not above many people. Still, if we could pull it off, another month on this pace could yield some real standings impact. For that to happen, it's going to mean getting another good month's work from our waiver wire starting pitching crew of Tyson Ross, Alex Wood, Jonathan Neese, and Marco Estrada, or whoever else we decide to churn through in the season's final weeks. But we're halfway through the experiment and it hasn't gone off the rails yet. That's something in itself. For this team, this is an entirely academic exercise. We have no shot at a money finish. The point though, is that sometimes the unorthodox approach, be it my approach detailed here, or Phil's as detailed last month, is the best choice from a list of bad options. Besides, it's always fun to try something new especially when you aren't particularly concerned that you might crash and burn. After all, this team already crashed and burned. There's nothing else left to do but push the wreckage over the finish line as best we can. For Baseball HQ Radio, this is Ray Murphy of BaseballHQ.com.
0: Ray Murphy, a BaseballHQ.com co-general manager and speculator columnist, is a member of the Master Notes rotation at BaseballHQ.com and BaseballHQ Radio. You can get Master Notes delivered to your email inbox every Friday with the free Fantasy Friday e-newsletter. Just go to BaseballHQ.com and sign up. Of course, we also have Master Notes here at BaseballHQ Radio every week. And that's Baseball HQ Radio for Tuesday, August 27th. Thanks very much for taking the time to download and listen to show number 39 of the 2013 Fantasy Baseball season. I also want to thank our featured guest on this Tuesday edition, BaseballHQ.com Director of News and Analysis, Jock Thompson. Jock's a real renaissance man at Baseball HQ. Surprised he doesn't have workload issues. And he's a great guy in the bargain. Had plenty of fun with Jock at First Pitch Arizona over the years. And let me echo what you heard earlier in the show from Ray Murphy. It's the most fun you can have outside of draft day. I also want to thank our commentators from BaseballHQ.com, the best fantasy baseball website in the business. Minor League analyst Rob Gordon had the Minor League Minute. And BaseballHQ.com co-general manager and speculator columnist Ray Murphy was our Master Notes commentator. And Rob and Ray will be at First Pitch Arizona as well. I'm Patrick Davitt. I hope to see you on the BaseballHQ.com subscriber forums. Please tell your friends about Baseball HQ Radio and please take a second, go to iTunes and add to our 4.8 star rating. Also, remember you can check out Baseball HQ on Facebook. Our Twitter feed is at Baseball HQ. Also, you can feel free to follow my personal Twitter account at Patrick Davitt. Glad to have you aboard. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back again Friday with our news and analysis show, League Watch News reports, Todd Zola, and weekly matchups on another edition of the podcast with Fantasy Baseball Intelligence for winners. It is Baseball HQ Radio. So long.
1: Baseball HQ Radio is a weekly free podcast available through iTunes and other podcast aggregators or directly from BaseballHQ.com where we have an archive of past shows as well. Just look for the HQ Radio microphone logo on the right side of the BaseballHQ.com homepage. Baseball HQ Radio is a production of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The opinions expressed on Baseball HQ Radio are those of the individual speaking and not necessarily those of the USA Today Sports Media Group. The program is produced and edited by Patrick Davitt.